Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you so much, the listening siblings. The listings gisings us this tonight. Amen. What a blessed and wonderful song. And truly, our God Almighty that we serve is complete in His sovereignty. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He will rule and reign. And I'm glad that we know Him in a personal way. Uh, I think I still remember uh, the listening siblings. Uh, they were trained by uh, Pastor, uh, what's again his name? He's also a good singer. Pastor Ricky Gorinha. Uh, those are his young people when he started uh, mission work in the Philippines. And uh, they grew up to be uh, uh, singers for the glory of God. And that's what really counts to the Lord. Not our talent, but our heart. If we will give our voices to him, our uh, hearts to him, he, he can use it for his honor and for his glory. And... Um, Singing from us, uh, for us, all the way from the Philippines. I don't know what part of the Philippines is that when uh, the camera zoom in. I think that's in uh, Pangasinan or Tarlac. But it's, it's a beautiful song, and truly the Lord is uh, worthy of all the glory, honor, and praises that we can attribute to his name. So tonight, uh, I praise and thank God for the opportunity to um, once again be able to share God's word. Uh, we praise and thank God for our brethren who are inside the church in this cold, chilly night. But for our folks that are living here in uh, New Jersey, just enjoy the comforts of your home wherever you are. Welcome to our TGIF, first TGIF for the year 2021. And uh, time flies. It's just like we just had the New Year's <laughs> celebration, first Sunday of uh the month of January now we're in the last few days and we know that um, the Lord has been good has been faithful he has sustained us throughout the whole week so I thank God for our folks brethren who are inside the church in this cold chilly night the whole clan of the Bautistas you know there's like hundreds of them here so we praise and thank God for their faithfulness and of course for all our viewers here in the States or, or in the Philippines wherever you are welcome to our Friday joint Bible study and we will continue our series of studies in the book of Revelation, uh, the last book of the Bible in the New Testament, all right? And uh, I'm excited for our upcoming um, 33rd church anniversary Thanksgiving service this coming Sunday. Let's pray for uh, a good weather and also for the Word of God that it will be uh, once again powerful and uh, anointed by the Holy Spirit, so our hearts will be blessed. Our spiritual lives will be revived, and people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way will hear the gospel, and let's be praying. So we invite you to tune in uh, from 10 o'clock in the morning Sunday, and we will have a wonderful and grand time in celebrating God's goodness and faithfulness in our church. And of course, tomorrow we'll continue our prayer chain ministry and just an update here. Um, let's continue to pray for Sister Pass. I, I got to talk to um, her daughter, Sister Eden from, from Canada. As you all know, because of COVID-19, um, they cannot still fly here in the States to see their mom or drive uh, because of COVID-19 and restrictions in the border. 
and we know that recently Sister Paz uh, had an ac accident. She uh, fell, and they have to do a hip replacement surgery. So three days from now, she'll be out of the hospital, and they'll be needing somebody to uh, take care of her or watch her during the night until they process the papers for, um, I think, a nurse to be able to come and see her during the night. But during daytime, she has a companion. So they're asking for prayers or any uh, volunteer uh, from our church for uh, a tempor temporary amount of time to see her and, and be able to minister to her. So please continue to pray for our elderlies, for Sister Pass, even Apong Luming, for their health, and uh, the Kamutin, and we know that uh, their names are in our uh, prayer list, in our prayer chain ministry, and during our prayer meeting. And also there's an update for um, this young man that we've been praying, Manny. Um, he is uh, just 15 years old. He is the nephew of uh, Sister Jay's co-worker, uh, Rachel. And we've been praying for this family to be able to um, know the Lord, trying to uh, witness to them. But um, her nephew, Na Manny, had this update that Manny's doctor today and social worker went to their home today to let the family know that from the MRI taken yesterday, the brain tumor has spread and man is not a candidate for the clinical trial medication. They are recommending comfort care. Please pray for him and the family for salvation and God's embrace after hearing the heartbreaking news. And it always saddens our heart when, you know, a young person um, had these um, kinds of diseases, terminal diseases like cancer. Um, and we I mean, you know it's very sad, but um, that's the reality of life. We live in a sin curse world in a fallen world and people get sick people die but the most important thing is you know where you're going to go when you die amen and the good news is the lord has provided a way for you to go to heaven to have your sins forgiven and that is through the gospel of the lord jesus christ so let's pray for comfort for the family and uh they have a relative who's a christian uh he's attending hawthorne gospel church so this is now the time for for this Man to let his light so shine in, in, in a darkened uh, corner of, of the world. So let's be praying for that. Uh, so tonight we will uh, continue our studies in the book of Revelation. And we are just going to continue uh, what we've studied about the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter uh, 20, verse 11 to 15. All right? Um, but before we go on, Let's have a word of prayer. I hope that those that are in their homes will be attentive and uh, we will study God's word together because we believe that this is a, a time worth spending in the word of God because the Bible, as we know, is uh, our spiritual food. Amen? And it's never enough for a Christian just to be fed by God's word once a week or like an hour service during Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon. But we need to be uh, loaded daily with God's word because, sad to say, there's a lot of uh, Christians that are spiritually malnourished. And as Christians living in this day and age, we have no excuse. We don't have no um, alibis to tell God that there's no access, there's no resources uh, for us to hear God's word and to study and meditate upon it. We are so blessed 
in this 21st century. We have the Bible in our hands. We have um, resources in, uh, in the digital world, in, in technology. We have books. We have, uh, particularly in our church, we have uh, avenues that we can study God's Word. We have Sunday school. We have Friday joint Bible study. We have Friday home Bible studies. We have the Sunday morning and afternoon service. And you have your own personal devotion and walk with the Lord. So we need a daily bread, daily dose of God's word. Because if we don't, then we will be spiritually weak and malnourished. And the temptations and the trials of life will weaken us, will put us down. So Christ even said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. The Bible declares in the Gospels that heaven and earth shall pass away. But God's word shall never pass away. So it's just right. It's just, it is just wise for a Christian, for a child of God who is really sincere and serious in their walk with the Lord to study God's word as much as possible. Because the more that we know him through his, through his word, the more we will love the Lord. The, the more we will serve him, the more we will enjoy him, the more we'll be grounded in the word of truth. So that's my desire tonight as we study God's word. Um, that's something that will be said tonight will remind us of some truths that we've heard before and uh, most of all we will ponder them upon our minds and apply them in our daily lives and be able to share it and uh, teach it to others. All right so let's bow our heads first. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father God in heaven we bless your name. We, we praise you and thank you for uh, this beautiful day you've given to us, even though, Lord, we know here in the East Coast it's, it's very cold outside because it's winter time. Uh, we know, Lord, that this will not hinder us, that we can uh, be able to feel the warmth of your love. We can be able to experience your grace and mercy that's new every morning. Thank you for our freedom of religion. Um, Thank you for the spiritual freedom that we have in Christ. Thank you for our salvation that made a way for us to be able to uh, know the truth. And thank you, Lord, for the desire of uh, your people tonight, your saints, uh, to hear your word. And we know, Lord, that this is a worthwhile desire, that we, we need to delight ourselves in the things of God. And we know, Lord, that there are a lot of things that can distract us tonight that can rob us away from our uh, valuable study of your word. It could be our uh, household chores or maybe our favorite TV uh, program or this and that we're about to do. But we just like to devote uh, these few minutes in this cold, chilly Friday night, Lord, to be in your presence, to once again be able to um, look at these wonderful words of life, the Bible. And thank you, Lord, that you've given us the Holy Spirit to teach us uh, all things. And we pray right now for your understanding and wisdom. Lord, uh, I'm nothing without you. Help me, Lord, to say the things that you want me to say, uh, that your word will be an encouragement to us. May it challenge us, but most of all, change us. And uh, give us, Lord, uh, fresh direction and and uh, motivation in serving you and being a witness for you. We pray, Lord, that you um, keep us safe as we study your word. Uh, 
be with the hearers of thy word tonight, wherever they are, and the listeners, and bless their, their lives and their family. And may we be uh, a better Christian, better witness for you uh, after this study tonight, Lord. So forgive us from our sins and our shortcomings. We humble ourselves before you. May uh, the Lord God Almighty be honored and be praised. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. All right, we will start with some um, diagrams here. As you've been noticing uh, for the past few Sundays, we've been uh, studying that passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 13, where it says that we need to know the time that we've been living in. So we dive into uh, dispensations in the Bible. And um, I have a book here by Dr. Clarence Larkin, uh, Dispensational Truth of God's Plan and Purposes in the Ages. And uh, we talk about dispensations in the Bible or a uh, set period of time where God deals with his people. And uh, there in that screen, if you can see it in your uh, homes, the dispensation uh, and first we see out of the eight or seven dispensation in the Bible, this is the sixth one after the age of innocence or the dispensation of uh, conscience of innocence with Adam and then conscience and then the human government and then family with Abraham and then the law with Moses. We go to the sixth one after the law, we have the dispensation of the church or the ecclesiastical dispensation. Where are we in right now? This is our time period, the time of the Gentiles, the age of grace, the dispensation of grace. And after that, of course, the next greatest prophetic event is the rapture of the church, where all the saints of God, genuine believers who are saved uh, from the time that Christ died on the cross, those that have been saved for 2,000 years will be raptured, will be taken out, violently caught up in the clouds. It's a secret appearing of Christ, which is the first phase of his second coming, the first stage of his second advent. And then comes, of course, uh, the judgment seat of Christ uh, up there in heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then while here on earth, it will usher in the great tribulation or the 70th week of Daniel or Jacob's trouble. Predominantly, this is the judgment to the unbelieving nation of Israel. And, uh, and then after that, Christ will come at the end of the tribulation uh, that's the revelation of Christ, different from the rapture. Uh, it's going to be public, and he will set up his millennial reign. And there's the 1,000-year reign of Christ. So the sixth one is the ecclesiastical dispensation, the church age. The seventh one is the great tribulation or Jacob's trouble. And the eighth dispensation is the millennial reign of Christ, and then goes eternity. And next diagram, please. All right, I don't know if you can see there, there are... The resurrections and judgment in the scripture. Of course, we know that the dividing uh, timeline of history is the cross of Jesus Christ, all right? And that's what the prophets have been foretelling, his first advent, his first coming. And that's the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the coming of Christ for him to die on the cross. He came to uh, be judged for our sins so he could be our savior. And then we see here that there's the church, and then there's the 
meeting in the air in the rapture, and then there's the judgment of the believers for their works. But the first judgment for the believers happened on the cross. We were judged uh, uh, for our sins. Christ paid the penalty of our sins with his blood, with his body that was broken. And there it is. We'll be judged according to our works in heaven, and we have the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he will come back, and he will put his millennial reign as promised to the nation of Israel, where David's throne will last forever, and they will gain their uh, land that has been promised to them since the time of Abraham. And then after the uh, millennial reign, of course, the start of the millennial reign, uh, Satan will be bound, will be cast into a bottomless pit, and there will be total peace and prosperity because Christ will be ruling in the whole earth. And uh, that, that is the promised kingdom, the gospel kingdom promised to the Jews when Christ was still on, here on earth 2,000 years ago. It will be fulfilled in the millennial reign of Christ. And uh, people who survive the great tribulation will uh, usher into the 1,000-year reign of Christ in their physical body. So people will live up to 1,000 years and people will give birth to uh, humans for us. We are already in our glorified state because when we get raptured, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will rule and reign with Christ, but people will still be living during the millennial reign. And even though Christ is ruling in, in peace and prosperity, the curse has been lifted up from the earth. There are still people who will rebel against Jesus Christ. Perfect rule. That tells us of the man's depravity because at the end of a thousand years, Satan will be loose for a season and he will deceive many and nations and they will have their final rebellion. So Christ has to judge them and then that comes our study. That's the timeline. The great white throne now will be ushered in. And then God will destroy the, the old earth by fire, as God says in Second Peter, and he will create the new heavens and the new earth and then eternity. So next slide, please. So the two judgments of the believer, uh, just a more, you know, um, detailed, the judgment number one is uh, our judgment for the believer's sin at the cross. It happened at the cross, and we know there were two malefactors beside Jesus Christ, as the missionary says, bad person number one <laughs> on the left, and on the right, bad person number two, all right? So there is the penitent thief and the impenitent thief. The repentant thief and the repulsive thief. But in the middle is the uh, Savior, all right? And we know that's still part of the Old Testament, all right? Because the, the Bible says that uh, the, the stator has to die first, for the testament to be completed. There should be the witness of the dead testator. So when that penitent thief died on the cross, but he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ when he pleaded to Christ, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus Christ said, as he promised today, because he knew that the three of them will die during that day. Uh, their legs will be broken except Christ because he gave up his life he gave up the ghost voluntarily. He gave his life to the Father's hand. But those other two thieves died because they broke their legs. So they will not live for a few days because it's going to be the, the Sabbath. So Christ said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So when both of them died in the afternoon, 
Christ was able to see uh, the thief on the cross who was saved in paradise in Abraham's bosom. And he led captivity captive. He preached to them and told them the good news that salvation had come, redemption had come, because Christ offered himself as the Lamb of God that will take it the sins of the world. So that's the believer's judgment at the cross for our sin. Christ was offered for the penalty, the punishment of our sins once and for all. For all. That's why he cried, it is finished. It's a done deal. Transaction is done. And we don't need to have temple sacrifices right now. We don't need to uh, accompany works and rituals and relics in, in order for us to have salvation and forgiveness of sin. Going to heaven right now in this dispensation of the church age of the grace period is only by faith. Amen? Plus nothing, minus nothing. It's a faith that saves, not faith plus work that saves. It's no more of works, but it's all faith. Because we are living in that dispensation, the church age, the grace period. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. So we're so blessed because we're living in that dispensation, in that timeline of grace. So the second judgment, though, is the believer's judgment, not for their sin, but for their works. It's called the judgment seat of Christ, or also called the Bema judgment, taken from um, the events happening during the, the Olympics, you know, where they are given their, their, their uh, prizes for running a race or being a part of a sport. So this is... Judging us for our works, getting our rewards, as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things that are done to his body. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 and 15, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he had built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work, verse 15, shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So this is going to happen when the saints of God, the church, has been raptured, while there's seven great tribulation here in this world, in the earth, up there in heaven, we will be judged for our works. The things that we've done in our bodies. Our stewardship as believers in Christ of our time, talent, our treasure, and our testimony. So, our works will pass through the fire, and if they remain, they will become like gold, silver, and precious stones like jasper, sardis, topaz, emerald, burial. But... If those works pass through the fire and we did it for our own self-glorification, wrong motive, so you can get a pat on the back, so you can be praised by men, those works that we did in the name of Christ that's not done for His glory will turn to wood, hay, and stubble. Combustible materials, they will burn out. But does it mean, are we going to be cast into hell? Are we going to burn in hell? No. Because we are already judged of our sin at the cross. Alright? But 
this judgment is about our works. We will lose our reward. And it will be a sad day for a Christian if he cannot offer anything at Christ because of those wasted years, wasted resources. You know? So it's a surreal thought, isn't it? What am I, you know, investing for eternity? How do I use my time, my energy, my life here on earth? You know, our life here on earth is just short. But you know, this is our gateway to eternity. What we do in this borrowed temporal life will affect our eternity. So it's wise for a Christian to live for the Lord. Amen? To walk for the Lord, to live by faith, to serve Him as much as we could because there's a day of reckoning. Next slide, please. All right. Uh, all right. The judgment of believers for works. Once again, this will happen at the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 14, 4 verse 13 to 18. While we get there into heaven, where Christ will come for his saints, there will be that judgment of believers' works. And there you go. There are five crowns that we can win. Aside probably from the rewards, prizes, you know, but specifically in the Bible, there's five crowns. There's the incorruptible crown. Or the victor's crown found in 1 Corinthians 9.25-27. There's the crown of life or the martyr's crown found in Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. And there is the crown of glory or the elder's crown for, found in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 2 and 4. Thank God for Pastor Abel. He was able to zoom this so I could read it. Alright? I don't know if you can read it in your screen there at your home. But there's the fourth one, the crown of righteousness for those who love is appearing. Amen to that. Maybe we can be able to um, get that crown if you love the, the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with everything that's going on right now, amen, with COVID-19, with the unrest in the political world, with um, uh, seems like uh, evil is triumphing over good, you know, um, and this world is waxing uh, and growing worse and worse. We are sometimes praying, even so, come Lord Jesus Christ. Sana mag-rapture na. It's my way out. It's my great escape. Isn't it? But that should not just be the reason, the motivation that we love is appearing. So we can get out of our debts. utang natin, you know? Or just escape the pain in life or the tribulations or the sufferings or the persecution. But... We, when, when the Bible says, for those who love is appearing, it's really the love that you have with Christ. You know? That you desire to see His face, the one who died for you, the one who loved you, the one who rose from the grave for you. All those things that will happen after He comes are just byproduct of His promise that He would come again for His own. For those who love His appearing. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. And His appearing... Uh, this secret coming of Christ in the rapture for the saints, it, it can happen any moment. We believe in the imminent return of Christ. There's no particular sign or detail for Him to come that has to be fulfilled for Him to come. That's why we are encouraged to watch and pray all the time. But for the season, the nearing time of the great tribulation after the, the rapture, we can since we can feel that the season is almost around the corner. So, let's love His appearing, Christ appearing. 
you can have the crown of righteousness. And there, the fifth crown, the crown of rejoicing, or the soul winner's crown. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 to 20. Ah, those who love to reach out to others, to be a witness, to be a soul winner. Those who just like love to share the gospel, the love of Christ. You can wear that crown. You can have that crown for the Lord Jesus Christ, the soul Winner's crown, a crown of rejoicing. Isn't it? When the Bible says when one sinner repents, that the whole realms of angels in heaven are rejoicing. Heaven itself is rejoicing for one sinner that repents. Because the Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world but loses his own soul? Don't you know that a single soul is worth the whole world? So that means every human being in this world, every man or woman is worth the whole riches of the world. And you're so worth the riches, the whole world that Christ has to come to save you. Amen? So if there's only one person, if it is only Adam that sinned, I, I believe God has still has a plan to come down here on earth and die on the cross and, and pay the sin penalty of Adam if there's only one person that's lost. Because a person, a single soul, is worth the whole world. That's why we believe in the sanctity of life. Amen? Because man is created in God's image. Every life is precious. Every life is valuable. We value especially the innocence, the infants, the babies in a mother's womb. You know, here in America, I think today or yesterday is the March for Life. A lot of uh, conservatives and those who, who love life, pro-life, went to the capital, you know, to express their uh, belief, their biblical belief that life starts at conception. Every life is sacred. Despite of any circum circumstances, they are brought in into this world. And uh, as we know, it's very sad. Uh, America has been founded in Judeo-Christian principles, but there is, there's that, um, you know, powerful entity in the shadows, in the darkness, that even uh, allowed the Supreme Court of America to legalize abortion in the 1970s. If you're familiar, Roe versus Wade. And since then, 60 million babies have been aborted. 60 innocent lives. They could have been citizens right now of America. But it was legalized. That's why uh, it's not, if not of God's mercy, we are already consumed as a nation. And that's not regarding other nations like China and European nations, industrialized nations who just kill the innocent. So if God is not merciful, we're doomed, isn't it? And right now we have a new administration that condones and supports with our taxpayers' money, sad to say. Abortion not just here in the state domestically, but in other nations, they support it. Isn't it sad? That's why, you know, we need to pray. We need to pray that God, uh, the people's eyes will be open of the truth. And next slide, please. All right, the book of Revelation. That's the black and white part. Uh, it's kind of blurry. So, but we will go to the next one. I don't know if you can see. Next slide, please. There you go. It's, it's more colored one. So we will go to our study. If you want to have um, a quick outline of the book of Revelation, is found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. All right? If you turn your Bibles to Revelation 1, verse 19, of course, we know the revelation of Jesus Christ 
to John the Beloved, the author of the five books in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, the Epistle of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then Revelation. The English title Revelations come from the first word of the book in Greek. That word is Apocalypsis. Now, in our Tagalog Bible, meron tayong Apocalypsis, di ba? So, it just simply means the unveiling, unveiling of something previously unrevealed. In Revelation, Christ and His eternal program are fully revealed so that the book provides a fitting capstone to the New Testament revelation. Revelation is apocalyptic in form, that is, it is principally prophetical. Written during a time of persecution, the book abounds with visions, similar to Daniel and Zechariah, and the style is generally figurative and symbolic. Sometimes they're saying it's so hard to understand the book of Revelation. Yes, it is, without the help of the Holy Spirit of God in other books like Daniel and Zechariah. So the book contains many symbols and signs such as numbers, colors, animals, stones, persons, groups, and places. Some symbols are interpreted in the text itself. Others have to be interpreted in the light of the Old Testament. And as we know, the author is no other than John, who is always close in the, in, in the bosom of Christ, one of the inner circle disciples, John the Beloved. You know, he identified at least, at least four times as the author in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 and 9, and Revelation chapter 22, verse 8. All right, we know that John is the only apostle or disciple who was not martyred because they tried to boil him alive, but he survived. And then he was cast into the Isle of Patmos, a barren desert. And there, in the, in the times of, uh, I think, AD 90, he saw his vision and was told to write them down while he was on that island of Patmos. Patmos is a small, barren, rocky island in the Aegean Sea, about 60, 60 miles from Ephesus. All right? So the theme and purpose of the book of Revelation, as a quick review, the theme of Revelation is the revelation of the person and the prophetic program of Jesus Christ. A number of purposes can be detected in the book. First, it was written to encourage believers to endure persecution and to persevere through suffering, knowing that the victory of Christ over the world and the devil is guaranteed and certain. Amen to that. This is an encouraging book for those people who are living during those times in AD 90 and beyond in the first century church because of persecution that Christ will fulfill what he had promised. So it's encouraging during that time. And secondly, uh, the book was written to show how all of prophecy focuses on Jesus Christ, his person and his program for the world. Third, the book seeks to unite all the various lines of biblical prophecy, both Old Testament and New Testament. Fourthly, the book seeks to correct some moral and doctrinal problems that existed and, and still exist in the churches and to instruct Christians in such things as salvation, prophecy, the person of Christ, and Christian living. And finally, the book may be an attack on the paganism and emperor worship of the Roman Empire during that time, particularly against the emperor Domitian and his persecution of Christians. If you remember in history, there were 10 waves of persecution from emperor Domitian. That's why 
the church in Smyrna, the persecuted church, was on that timeline. So there are four ways to have four basic interpretation or approaches for the book of Revelation. There is what we call the idealist or allegorical approach that views the book as a symbolic presentation of the eternal struggle between good and evil or between Christianity and anti-Christian paganism. There's the preterist approach that sees Revelation as describing simply a historical or contemporary events of John's day in symbolic form. There is the historical approach that arose during the days of the Protestant Reformation and understand the book to be presenting in symbolic form the course of world history from the New Testament days through the return of Christ. And the fourth one, which we hold as Bible-believing Christian, is the futurist, futurist approach, which views most of the book from chapters 4 all the way to 22 as still future, presenting the judgment of the tribulation period, the return of Christ, the millennial kingdom, and the eternal state. Only, take note, chapters 1 to 3 are in any sense historical. The rapture of the church, according to many premillennialists, will occur, will occur before the sin described in chapter 4 begins. Premillennialists, as we are, believe that the Bible teaches that Christ will return to earth to establish a literal messianic kingdom on the earth in fulfillment of literal promises to Abraham, David, and the prophets. That's why if you look at Revelation 1 verse 19, a quick outline of the book, it tells us there, of course, this is Christ speaking. You can see it in your Bible. It's red letters, red words. So it means this is Christ speaking. Uh, we can start in verse 17. This is John. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid unto me, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not. Wow. Pag nakita mo naman si Cristo with all his glory. Uh, shining brightly, uh, you will fear for your life. But Christ encouraged uh, John the Beloved, Fear not! I am the first and the last. Verse 18, Revelation chapter 1, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and, and of death. Imagine, Christ already passed away at AD 33, and it's been like almost 60 years, and John the Beloved, the oldest and remaining a uh, living apostle was able to see Christ in his glorified form. He said, I am he that liveth. And he said in verse 19, write the things, this is the basic outline of the book of Revelation, write the things which thou hast seen, chapter 1, and the things which are, chapter 2 and 3, concerning the seven churches in Asia Minor, and the things which shall be hereafter, from chapter 4 or the way to chapter 22, our future, all right? It describes mainly, especially from chapter 6 to chapter 19, the tribulation period. And we've been studying this for months, I think almost a couple of years now. And um, uh, let's go back to that um, slide of the book of Revelation. You see there, first is the vision of the glorified Christ, the things which thou hast seen. And then the things which are the seven churches, and then the things which shall be hereafter, chapters uh, 6 all the way to chapter 19, and then uh, the great chapters of 20 and 21 to end the New Testament. And we've been studying 
We, we studied the seven churches in Asia Minor, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. And we are now, when it comes to the seven churches in Asia, there is the contemporary chronological approach and composite approach. The composite is that all these seven churches, their characteristics, their promises, their strengths, and their weaknesses can be seen in many churches nowadays. It's composed of uh, the seven churches. But the contemporary, those churches are alive and present in the days of John the Beloved when he was writing the book of Revelation. But the most interesting application of this study in chapter 2 and 3 is the chronological approach. You know, the first century church is what we call the Ephesus church. They are uh, on fire, the first century Christians for God. They, they are the only generation that turned the world upside down in the gospel of Christ. That's the time of the apostles and the early Christians. And then the Smyrna, they be, began to be persecuted like Domitian, Emperor Domitian and Nero. And then Pergamos, they become starting to compromise the rise of the papacy. And then Thyatira, they become corrupt. That's the longest church age. And then comes Sardis, you know, the Reformation time. Then Philadelphia, the missionary time. A lot of missionaries, great awakening in Europe and even here in America. And then Laodicea, the cool off. Lukewarm. And we can see that in a lot of churches, especially here in the States. So it's very interesting, the seven churches. And then we studied, after that, uh, the seven seals. And before you open the seventh seal, there is an interval. Comes the seven trumpets with the seven persons. Then there's an interval. And then the vials, the bowls, the seven dooms. And we know seven is the number of completion. Perfect. So we can see the number seven throughout the book of Revelation. And then, there you go. There's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, that's happening. All right, there's also uh, the seven dooms, seven new things. And then, just to briefly summarize this, we, we go to the thousand-year reign of Christ. And then at the end of that is the great white throne. So, we go to Revelation 20 now. All right, Revelation 20. We will, this is our main passage of scripture. Uh, this is in the context where Satan was bound for a thousand years. Uh, let me read Revelation 20 verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon. These are the names of our adversary, the devil. And dami pangalan dito. The old dragon, the old serpent, the devil, and Satan. And bound him a thousand years. One verse, four names for our enemy. You know, the prince and the power of the air. So he's not all powerful, isn't it? This angel is so powerful, he was able to bound him. And cast him into that bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Isipin nyo, bakit pa siya papakawalan? Ang ganda ng mundo. Christ will lift up the, the curse into this world. Uh, there will be plenty. There will be great harvest. No more hurricanes, earthquakes. No more natural calamities. The, the earth will be healed. Like in the times probably before Adam and Eve fell into sin. 
God will lift it up the curse. The lion and the lamb will be together. The serp, uh, you know, the, the, there's no more thorns in the roses. Everything will be perfect, environmentally speaking. There's no more climate change. Amen? <laughs> no, nothing that man will do for a thousand years will pollute the earth. But right now, we're, we're destroying this earth. We're polluting it, not just because of our wastefulness, but because it's the curse of sin. Everything that sin touches, it will decay and deteriorate. You know? But God will lift up the curse and He will rule. So, after that, I saw thrones in verse 4, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. These are tribulational saints. And which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they live and reign with Christ a thousand years. Verse 5, Revelation chapter 20. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that had part in the first resurrection. Who are those people who, who's going to be part of the first resurrection? Those that have been resurrected when Christ comes in the rapture. Remember 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and 18, the dead in Christ shall be raised first. You know, those believers who died in Christ, those who repented of their sin for the past 2,000 years since the time of the church age, since Christ died on the cross and ascended up into heaven. They will be resurrected. Right now, my mom who passed away 2015 because of uh, her battle with cancer, of course, her remains, her dust, are at Pastor Abelardo's room <laughs> in a vase because she was cremated. But her soul and spirit are in heaven right now. The same token with all of our deceased loved ones. You know, they are there now in heaven enjoying the bliss of heaven, the glory of heaven. They have a welcoming committee there right now. You know, Sister Astrid, Astrid's parents um, who are in the Philippines right now, they're very happy there. And the Bautista's moms though, uh, and dad, you know, uh, Nanay Greg and Tatay June. They're already in heaven for some time right now, isn't it? Pastor Mark's uh, mother, who's in heaven, and Dr. Emmanuel Kizan, people that we look up to as, as, as veterans of the faith. And uh, that's why we're encouraging our elderly to stay strong and healthy, isn't it? Because uh, we don't want you to be part of the welcoming committee. We still need you here. Amen? But they are there right now with the temporal, you know, sense sensory uh, uh, privileges, but they're waiting for that first resurrection for their bodies who are either in the grave or cremated to be rejoined with their soul and spirit will be glorified. Amen? So right now, they're waiting. So those people who have part in the first resurrection and we, if, if Christ Christ if Christ comes right now, we'll be raptured, we'll be translated, we'll be glorified without tasting death, experiencing death. Then we have that part in the first resurrection. And the Bible says in Revelation that blessed are those which have the part in the first resurrection. On such, the second death had no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him 
a thousand years. Because there's another resurrection that's happening. That's what we're studying is the great white throne. Where the dead who are without Christ will be relieved from their suffering in hell and they will be judged in that great white throne at the end of the millennial reign after the rebellion of Satan and multitudes in this earth. You know, and they'll be judged. And later on we will study about that. So verse 8, uh, verse 7, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So marami pa magre-rebelde. Minsan may isip nyo, why a person is um, devastated is like uh, a pain in society. Is it the fault of their environment? Minsan lahat na lang biniblame, di ba? Is the environment's fault? Is the family they were born with, that's why they uh, ended up like that. But look here in the thousand year reign of Christ is perfect peace, prosperity. Christ is the ruler. You know, there's harmony. We all go to Jerusalem to worship, but still man will rebel against Jesus' perfect rule. Why? Because unless the heart is transformed, even the environment is good, it will have no effect in the long run. The devil will just come in a single season in a short season and will deceive them and will encourage them to rebel against Christ's rule so we we'll see the, the the depravity of man that's why the change in the heart the transformation from within has to start same thing we can apply in 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 our, our churches right now we cannot assume that everybody is saved I hope everybody is saved but some might be just going through the form some might be just going to the routine, pretending to be a professed Christian, but deep inside, there's no real change. That's why you don't see them in church anymore. They're living in sin. They're backsliding. It seems like they claim to be a Christian years ago, but there's no change. You know, we're judging. God only knows their heart. But if you are really a new person in Christ, a new creature in Christ, there ought to be a change. Amen? There should be a reality of your salvation. There should be evidence. There should be manifestation that you've been truly born again. You will desire the things of God. You will serve God. You will try to know Him more. You will witness. You will use what you have for the Lord. Because now you can understand that He truly loves you. That He died for you. And the least you can do is to serve Him and love Him. But a person who profess, Oh, I, I pray the sinner's prayer. I went to church on Easter and 10 years, 20 years, 5 years, no change at all. They still live the same kind of life that they lived before. Then I guess their salvation is questionable. Alright? But only God knows. That's why we have to always search our hearts. Evaluate our hearts that we are in the Lord. If you know a person like that, who profess a Christ, to be a Christian, sabi nga, Christiano lang sa nguso, pero wala sa puso profession lang, wala talagang possession of a real inward change, then we have to pray for that person. We have to talk to that person. And maybe have diagnostic, are you really saved? Do you really know that they have personal relationship with the Lord? So look in verse 9. And they went up on the bread of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So there's the judgment. They rebel against Christ with Satan, but Jesus Christ will just judge them 
and fire come down from heaven and devour them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw, here is our text for our study, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and look, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. So the lake of fire is bigger than hell. Hmm? This is the second death. Spiritual death. Separation from God forever. So these verses describe the final event of all human history. As you say, as we look at the diagram a while ago, this is like second to the last thing that will happen in human history. After the millennial reign of Christ, there's the rebellion and they will be judged. They will be cast into the lake of fire and they will be relieved from hell and they will be brought into the presence of God in this great white throne. So God is putting the last period on the last sentence of the last paragraph of the last page in our scripture. This is the final judgment of all who die lost, never having repented and never having received Christ as their Savior. This is serious. And we need to give our full attention to this matter. The great white throne is not easily imagined, nor is the lake of fire which follows it. Artists surely fail to bring its reality to our eyes. We have some pictures here of Christian artists who had this imagination. What would be hell or the lake of fire look like? Let's imagine that's the great white throne. Huge throne, isn't it? Because our God is marvelous, is awesome, is majestic, okay? Let's go through the slides, all right? As you look at that, let me read our introduction. Artists surely fail to bring its reality to our eyes about hell or the lake of fire. It's not easy to preach about this awesome and final judgment. I personally take absolutely no pleasure whatsoever in even thinking about anyone being thrown alive into a lake of fire for all eternity. Also, God takes no pleasure in it either. God never made hell for people. Hell was originally created for the devil and his angels. And the people who end up in hell will be those who reject God's way of escape and never get saved. God doesn't send people to hell. What sends people to hell? Sin does. Amen? For the wages of sin is death. So we must accept his salvation from sin. If we say no to God's provision, then the only alternative is hell. This might not be politically correct, but I ought to preach what the Bible says. Amen? It's in the Bible. Actually, Jesus Christ preached and teached more about hell, literal place, than heaven. Alright? We cannot remain neutral. God is love and He loves us so much that He took our hell for us. If we'll repent of those sins for which He died for and receive his full payment. But you know, our God is not just a God of love, but also he is holy and perfect. And if we, if we don't accept his payment for our sins, then we have to pay for our sins ourselves. And we cannot pay our sins 
for our sins ourselves because we are not perfect. We are not holy or righteous enough to pay for our own sin. And imagine the sins of the world. But there was only one who was infinitely perfect and if infinitely able to pay the sins of the whole world, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, because He is the God in the flesh. So, in this great white throne judgment, before they are cast into the lake of fire, what we now look at is the darkest hour of human history. This is the supreme court of the universe. All the laws will be judged, and after the verdict is read, it is final. There will be no appeals. There is no court of appeals. The sentence is alive, and that sentence, a death row and torture chamber, wrap up in one with no end for all eternity. As I said, this is not politically correct. A lot of people don't believe in literal hell. But I said, it's what the Bible teaches. This is what we declare. Some simply won't believe it, but their argument will be with God, not with me. You know, they said, you know, ah, it's okay, hindi ako takot mapunta sa impyerno because in hell, I will have company. Alright? Nandun yung mga barkada ko, mag-i-enjoy kami doon. No. The Bible describes it as a place in total darkness with literal fire and worms that die at not. It's a place of anguish and torment for all eternity. It's not a party time there. You know? If I ever preach a sermon direct from God's word, then this is it. Alright? So, we studied, if you remember, I think three months ago, two months ago, the seven aspects of the great white throne judgment. There is the courtroom, the judge, the accused, the evidence, the defense, the verdict, and the sentence. Seven, because it's complete. You know, perfect number. So, we will go through this. In the next few minutes, uh, swiftly, alright, para kayo nanood ng law and order. Amen? Uh, how many of you love to watch that? And other shows like Judge, Genie, you know, where you are in a setting in a court, diba? So, first is the courtroom. Okay, verse 11 in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne. So let's stop right there as a review, quick review. There are three words that represent three things. Great, white, and throne. Great speaks of power. Alright? The law standing before this throne will be overcome with the incredible sense of power, awe, and fear. Some talk flippantly about what they're going to tell God when they see Him face to face. Oh no, you won't. The person who never got saved will not be able to do anything but weep and tremble. Their mind may go back to each time they took God's name in vain, but they won't be able to use it in vain on this occasion. They may think of jokes they told about hell. Oh, Hindi ako naniniwala sa hell, you know. Kaya dito sa mundo, iinom na ako. Sabi nila, sa langit walang beer, that's why I drink it here. And I'll drink it when I go to hell. And they mock God, especially the atheists, the liberals who don't believe in uh, the supreme uh, eternal being, God, existence of God. But And they take His name in vain. And they said, I don't believe in hell, I don't believe in God. Now they are facing God in the great white throne, Judgment, if they never repent of their sin, never got saved, and they will be in awe. They will be trembling. Their mind will go, go back to the time that they refuse the light of the existence of the truth of who God is. In creation, in conscience, and then the Bible and gospel witness. 
They may remember the way they used to think about hell, but the reality of what it's really like will now sink in. They said hell for company and heaven for climate when they are here on earth. I always did prefer company to climate. They'd rather go to hell because they said in, in heaven is always fair weather. No, they won't be able to say that. Look at Hebrews 10.31. We'll go to some quick verses. Hebrews 10.31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Matakot ka na kung napapakinggan mo itong boses ko. Don't harden your heart. Ask God to save you right now because there come a time that judgment will fall upon every man. Hebrews 12.29 For God is a consuming fire. Consuming fire meaning he is a righteous judge. How dare we think we could ever stand before God and, and be anything but speechless. Isn't it? You see liberals and atheists and agnostics who are proud of their sin and they pick up a sign I saw in a, in a, in a post, I'm not afraid to go to hell. Proud to be a sinner. Something like that. They mock God. They mock Christians, the Bible. But during this time, the great white throne, they cannot be able to do that. They'll be speechless. Notice how this judgment begins. First is the disposing of the earth. In verse 11 of Revelation chapter 20, we see there the phrase, earth and heaven fled away. All will realize that everything they ever lived for on earth is gone forever. Earth and heaven fled away. Everything they put before God is gone. All their possessions, all their pleasures, popularity, prestige. These are the things that man is seeking after this life. All their family, their children, gone. Disposed of and they are left with God alone who now must dispose of them. Hear this in the end. All we have left is our soul, isn't it? We cannot carry anything that we invest in this life. You know, no wonder Jesus said, Mark 8, 36, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So the word great stands for power. Second is the word white. White speaks of purity. This speaks of the unapproachable purity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is this important? Because many on that day will stand before God and want to say, Oh God, let me in your heaven because I was a good person when I was on earth. I was a religious person. I was a philanthropist. But that will mean nothing compared to Christ's unapproachable purity. The only way you or I can be pure enough to stand before God is to be washed in the blood of Jesus. Amen? Isaiah 1.18, Isaiah 1.19, the Bible says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Psalms 51 verse 7, the Bible declares, Purge me, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. What can be whiter than snow? Huh? Domino sugar? No. Snow is the whitest you can ever think of, isn't it? So when Christ's blood washes your sins away, you will be acceptable in the presence of God because all those sins will be blotted away. You'll be whiter than snow. So white speaks of purity. Then throne speaks of potentate. All right? There are different thrones where there is the human throne, you know, governments, dynasties, empire. 
you know, monarchy, the human thrones. Then, of course, there is our heavenly throne where God sits and Christ sits on his right hand. And then we have the heart's throne of man. Who has to rule our heart's throne? Is it us? Is it ourselves? No, it has to be God, isn't it? Human throne, human governments, dynasties, and empire, they will rise and fall. But God's throne will last forever. So here, he is called the great potentate. Throne speaks of the potentate. God himself will be in charge on this day. He will call the shots on this day. I know a lot of people today, they drag God's name through the mud. Make fun of Christians and his followers. But on the day, it is God who sits on the throne. The powerful Pure potentate, the creator who allowed them every breath they ever took. The savior, though, who died in their place. The spirit that convicted their hearts time after time, urging them to repent and be saved. He has allowed them a free will to choose for years and years. But on that day, that great white throne, God will seize on the throne as the mighty potentate, the mighty creator, the mighty judge. First Timothy 6.15, the Bible says, which in his time he shall shew who is the blessed and only potentate or creator, the King of kings and Lord of lords. What appropriate song that the listings had sung. Aren't you glad that you know him in a personal way? The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Praise be to his name, the only potentate. And you'll either put him on the throne of your heart today or you'll stand before his great white throne on that day. Notice the last phrase of verse 11. There was found no place for them. Literally, when these people are resurrected from the grave, from hell, to face God, the potentate, in that great white throne judgment, there are no place for them to run, to hide. There's, there was found no place for them. No place to run, no place to hide. Isn't it? In the Garden of Eden, Adam sinned. And he tried to hide behind a tree. But during that time, great white throne judgment, no trees to hide on that day. When Jonah sinned, he tried to take a boat away from it all. No transportation away on that day, that great white throne. No fig leaves, just the ugly nakedness of your sin exposed. Nowhere to run, every excuse is stripped away. It's one on one. The sinner and the savior at the great white throne. So that is the courtroom. Second, the judge. Verse 11, notice that phrase, him that sat on it. So who, who is this judge of the universe? Don't you know it's not the heavenly father? It's not God the father. But in John 5, 22, for the father judgeth no man, but had committed all judgment unto the, who is it? Son. And who is that son? Capital S. He had given the judgment to Jesus Christ. This is the sweet Savior we read about in the Gospels. This is the Lamb of God. But on this day, the great white throne judgment, He's no longer the Lamb. But the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The Redeemer right now during this grace age, church period, this dispensation of the Gospel of Christ, the Redeemer right now will become the ruler the Savior is now the Sovereign during the great white throne judgment. Acts 17 verse 31. Because he had appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man 
whom he had ordained, whereof he had given assurance unto all men, in that he had raised him from the dead. So that man that God the Father had raised from the dead is no other than the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, some people will only come to church during Easter, and they think they're going to heaven. But it will be that resurrected Christ who will damn their soul to hell because they rejected his salvation. There's a story of a man drowning, and he was saved by a fisherman in a boat. One year later, that man got in legal trouble. He awaited judge in the courtroom, and then he entered. And it was the man who had saved him a year before. And he said, boy, I'm glad to see you. He replied, it matters not that last year I saved you. Today, I am your judge. And I will be fair. If you commit a crime, you have to pay for it. This same Jesus who begs to be your savior today will one day be your judge if you reject him as your savior. So the courtroom, the judge, thirdly, the accused. Look at verse 12. And I saw the dead small and great stand before God. Small and great. The big shots and the nobodies. The up and commerce and down and outers. COO and lowest employee. Professors and uneducated. Kings and homeless. They are all accused on that day if they die lost. No matter who you are. No matter your social status. Verse 13 here, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it. As I said, this is the second resurrection, the resurrection of the lost. The first resurrection was of the saints more than a thousand years before this. Remember, during the time of the rapture, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and the believers who are alive will be translated. That's the first resurrection. So this is the second resurrection. In other words, this is not about them whether they are guilty or innocent. These that are resurrected to the great white throne it is clear that they are already guilty. This is not a trial to see whether they go free or not. This is not about allegations. This is making clear why they are going to hell for all eternity. Because they've already been in hell awaiting for this judgment. Two words for hell in scripture is Hades and Gehenna, which can be likened to a local jail and prison. The one is temporary holding place, no less vile, just less permanent. And notice the words death and hell in verse 13 and 14. Death gives up the body. Hell gives up the soul. Then both body and soul are cast into Gehenna or the lake of fire. Eternal lake of fire. So there is no appeal and no parole during this great white throne judgment. And what are the four groups of people that will be judged at this great white throne? Look at there. The sinners, of course. There is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10. The ones who hated God and don't mind speaking out. They hate the church, they believe in the Bible, and are always in your face like Madeline Murray O'Hare or outspoken uh, atheists like Bill Mayer. You know, those people, if they don't repent of their sins and accept Christ, you know, they will end up in this everlasting torment. And everybody that rejects the salvation that Christ is offering. Not only the sinners, but the self-righteous. Those who think they will go to heaven because they live a good life. Because they have religion. They trusted on their works. They think the gospel is just for pervert, perverts, thieves, murderers, and don't see themselves as real sinners. It's like, remember the story of the Pharisee and publican? 
Pharisee and publican both prayed at the same altar. The Pharisee said, paraphrasing, Thank you, God, that I'm a good person and not like that sinner, that publican, the tax collector who's vile and evil, who's corrupt. But the publican, who cannot even lift up his head in heaven, he said, I am a sinner, forgive me. And we know the one that was justified, that was saved, is not the Pharisee who is a religious leader, but that publican who humbled himself and admitted that he is a vile sinner and asked the Lord for forgiveness and repented of their sin. You see, he's the one who got saved that day. There are no big and little sins. It takes only one sin to send somebody to hell. No one can get to heaven by good works. That's why Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, But we are all as unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. So the best of the best of us, our righteousness, when we, you know, give it to the God, when we show it to God, are just filthy rags. You know why? Because it will just take one sin to like obliterate, blotted all the good things that we've done. Because in order for us to get to heaven, God's standard is perfection. And meron bang perfect na nabuhay na tao dito sa mundo? If you live to be just 70 years, obeyed all the law, never lied, everything is righteous, perfect. Nobody! All of us are guilty. All of us had disobeyed the law, offended God. Not only the sinners, the self-righteous, but the slow deciders. These are the people, sad to say, they know they, get, they, they know they need to get saved. They heard the gospel. They feel the conviction of the Spirit. But they said, Saka na lang. They procrastinate. Oh, I'll, I'll become a Christian later. Oh, I'll accept Christ later. I'll just enjoy sin. I'll just enjoy the world. I still want to do things my way. I'm not, regard, I'm not regarding spiritual things. I'll just enjoy my life. And I'll, probably I'll, I'll believe on Christ later. They just keep on putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. They said the road to hell is paved with good intentions. But the Bible makes it plain how important it is to deal with this immediately. Hebrews 13, Hebrews 3.15 Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, and the last part, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now, it says, it's, it says now. Not tomorrow, not next week, next, not next month. To deal with your eternal destination, behold, now is the day of salvation. The slow deciders need to know there's no second chance at the great white throne. Just as in Noah's days, there were years of warning and preaching. How many years? Noah preached uh, the preacher of righteousness. There's a judgment coming. There's a flood that's gonna, you know, destroy the whole world. But people just mocked him. Ah, Noah, you're crazy. How come you're building such a large boat? Such a large ark on top of a mountain. You know, they've never experienced flooding. But, but they're all living wickedly and everything. Noah was preaching for 120 years. And then God said, go inside the ark with the animals. And he shut the door. Only wonder of, wonder of the ark. And he couldn't even like, you know, op open it. When those people are now starting to drown and they're shouting and pleading, probably if you can use your sanctified imagination, Noah, mercy upon us! Open the door, we're drowning! It's been raining for more, almost 40 days and 40 days, but it's too late. It's too late. Now is the day of salvation. Then the Sunday church goers, oh, this is sad, isn't it? And dami po nito. They thought by going to church, by being a member of the church, they will have a place in heaven. They're is their ticket in heaven. 
to the major religions of the world and also in Bible-believing independent Baptist church. They think that if they just go to church, then they will be in heaven. The ones who have their name on the church roll, but not in the Lamb's book of life. They'll go to hell with the Bible in their hand, so to speak. And the devil doesn't mind at all. He just as soon send you to hell from the church house as the whorehouse. They may have a fancy suit or nice dresses, you know, or Sunday school attendance pin or an offering statement, but they never, never truly accepted Christ for themselves. They were never, never truly born again to God's family. I suppose the only thing worse than going to hell is going to hell thinking you are going to heaven. Diba? That's a tragedy. So how about you? Do you fit into one of these groups? You can be saved today and avoid this sin at the great white throne judgment. So that's the third part, number four, the evidence. All right, verse 12, you see here the books. And I, stand, I saw the dead, small and great, and stand before God. And the books, look, it's plural. The books were open. So what are these books? I believe there are at least three books that will be open on that day in that great white throne judgment. First is the book of works. A lost person's life. It says they're according to their works, they were judged. Lost person, unsaved world, unsaved person, you need to realize that God is recording your works, your sins. And on the day of judgment, nothing will remain hidden. The books will be open. How can God do this? How can God write and record everything that we do, especially to these lost people? Well, there's nothing impossible with God, isn't it? He's omniscient. And omnipotent. Look at all these verses. Psalms 139, verse 1 and 2. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. So, God knows everything about us. Ezekiel 11:5. And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me and said unto me, I know the things that come into your mind. Every one of them. 2 Peter 2:14. Having eyes full of adultery. That's not the sin of adultery. This just means having eyes full of jealousy. God is a jealous God. He's the only one to be worshipped and praised. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. Psalms 139 verse 4. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. So thoughts, while we speak, God knows all of it. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Hebrews 4.13 Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things, is it some things? Just certain things? The Bible says all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We can see here God's complete sovereignty. How about Matthew 12.36 But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Gossip, slander, criticism, lies, lies, bad jokes, green jokes, etc., etc. Every word and deed will be answered for. God's candid camera is running. Amen? 24-7 with unlimited data storage. Look at Luke 12, 2 and 3. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets. Nako, 
shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. So it means every word, every deed, also every thought is known of God. And the loss will be judged of all of it. Jeremiah 17 verse 10, with the thoughts, I the Lord search the heart. Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart proceeded evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemies. So for the loss, the first book open is your life, the book of works. Other verses, Ecclesiastes 12, 14, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Romans 2.16 In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So what is the lost per world are saying today? You know, The homosexual crowd says, those who are proud of their sin, flaunting their sin, or the LGBTQ community, what they say, what we do behind closed doors is nobody else's business. But one of these days, it will be God's business. Isn't it? The abortionist, the feminist, what a woman does with her body is no business of no other people. It's just our business. The teenagers, what I do with my body is my business. It's not your business. The president, what I do in my office is nobody else's business but my business. <laughs> but you know what? It is going to be God's business in that great white throne judgment. Huh? So the first book that's open is the book of works. Thank God, though, if you've been saved, if you're a Christian, your sins are under the blood. Amen? Not a license to sin, to sin at all, and not saying we won't have consequences for sin here on earth, but our sin has been judged. But during the great white throne judgment, the lost works will be judged by God. The second book that will be open is not just the book of works, but the Bible. This Bible, John 12, 48, in the last phrase there, in the end, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. What are the words that have been spoken by Christ? Words spoken by God. Those that are written in the Bible. The Bible I hold in my hand is the standard by which all the laws one day will be judged. So two books are open now and they stand in contrast. The first book, it says that all have sinned and come short. It's a verse that will have come to our mind. Most of us don't realize how sinful we are until we compare ourselves to God's righteousness, isn't it? The lost will see from the Bible how sinful they are and how perfect the plan of God has for them. But the sad thing is they rejected it. They will then know why justice will be served by their going to hell. You see, God's standard of righteousness is always perfection. We have a uh, illustration here. What if you're hanging from a cliff and you're hanging from cliff by a chain with 10 links? How many have to break for you to fall? Let's say you're between life and that you're just hanging with uh, clinging to a chain and there's like a, a great you know gulf or ravine and you're just hanging with that chain and if you let go you'll fall to your death. So how many chain should have to fall off for you to perish? Isn't it only one? <laughs> because all those chains are attached to each other. They're connected. So if you just lose one, but you're, you will fall. So the same thing 
For a sinner, they only have to commit one sin, and that will be your downfall, your doom. That's why Revelation 21 verse 27, it says, And there shall in no wise enter into it that defileth. Kasi maraming tao nag-iisip, di naman ako ganun kasama. Hindi naman ako uh, robber, manuloko, o mamamatay tao. But look at this. Neither shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, matinding kasalanan, or make it a lie. So lahat tayo doon guilty, di ba? We all made a lie. Make it a lie. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So nobody's perfect but Christ. That's why we have to receive it from Him. Salvation as a gift. You know? Do you still remember the moment you got saved? God made a trade. My sin for Christ's righteousness. So the first book open is a book of works. The second book that will judge the loss is the Bible. Then the third book is found in Revelation 20, verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life. Book of works, the Bible, the third book is the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. Also, we can find that book of life in Revelation 21, verse 27. This is the final nail in the coffin. If you've been saved, your name is written there, and if not, then it's not. You see, ultimately, there's only one sin that will send people to hell. That is the sin of unbelief. The unpardonable sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, rejecting the promptings of the Spirit to put your faith in Christ for salvation. If you fail to get saved, your name isn't written there. And on that day, it will be way too late. So these three books that we study tells us a story. Book 1, the book of works, it says, this is your life. Book 2, the Bible says, Here's my plan for your life. I made a way for you to be saved. But you rejected it. Book 3 says, you didn't do anything about it. That's why your name is now not or ever will be written in the Lamb's book of life. So that's the evidence. Then comes opportunity for a defense in every trial. What is the defense of a lost person in the great white throne judgment? There is no defense. This is the quickest point. Amen? I mean, there is, it is, black and white. There's no denying the evidence. You're guilty. Some may say, I'll throw myself on the mercy of the court and say, I believe now, God, I believe now in Jesus as a Savior. Please forgive me. Save me now. Give me a second chance. But look at Hebrews 9.27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after these, the judgment. So your chance of going to heaven, escaping the great white throne judgment is while you're living here on earth. I see no mercy there or in Revelation, only judgment. If you want grace, you can have it now, but not after you die. If you want mercy, you can have it now. If you want forgiveness, if you want salvation, you can have it now while you're still alive. But after death, after that appointment, there's no more chance. Number six, the verdict. After the defense, there's no defense. What's the verdict? Guilty. Guilty. The lost will hear these words, as Christ said in Matthew 25, verse 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. Very, very fearful words that you'll hear from your Creator. Depart from me. And last, amen, the sentence. The sentence. 
Verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Is this literal fire? You bet it. No, di Yes, it is. Every shred of evidence in the Bible says, yes, it's literal fire. Liberal theologian says it's figurative, not literal. But Jesus called hell a place of fire and torment where people die forever and yet never completely. I'll take Jesus' words over any theologian, no matter how many degrees he has. He has no idea the degrees of the flames of hell. I'll stand on this fact no matter how politically incorrect it is. It becomes in the future that it's a literal fire as God said it. I'll gladly take my chances on standing before God one day and hearing him say, Oh, Pastor Sam, you know, you took my word too literally. I'll take that chance. Amen? Then to hear the words, Sam, you explain it away too easily. Luke 16 tells us of a man in hell who said, I am tormented in this flame. No matter though, let's suppose it's figurative. There's no literal fire in hell. There's no literal lake of fire. It's figurative or something. Just for the sake of argument, though I don't believe that. Even so, isn't that something awful that would have to be pictured by fire? Of course it's awful. So we're mostly Christians probably hearing this message tonight, this lesson. As we close, let's make an application to us. Though you won't be at the great white throne judgment, if saved, can this teaching help you? Certainly. So these are the practical things. Have you witnessed to anyone lately? Do you use trucks to share God's word to others? Do you invite anyone, any person to the church or your Bible study group? Do you wish that they are here to hear this message? Or you can be there for them to preach to them or share this message? Are you thankful that your sins have been judged? Have you worshipped the Lord lately for his perfect plan to save you? The Lord told his disciples to rejoice, isn't it? After he sent them two by two. They were able to heal, do miraculous things, cast demons out, marvelous things, probably even raise people from the dead. But he said to his disciples, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In Luke chapter 10, verse 20. So we've seen the courtroom, the judge, the accused, the evidence, the defense, the verdict, and the sentence. Now what will we do? What will we do? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord God Almighty, thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture in Revelation chapter 20. Even though we will not appear in this great white throne, this is the judgment for the lost, why they are being judged. But we will appear in the judgment seat of Christ so we can be judged what we've done on for you, what we've done in this body. And most of us, Lord, are guilty because we haven't done much for your sake, for your cost. So forgive us, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that we can be reminded of this sense of urgency. And the whole drive of the message tonight, if we have people that we know of that are unsaved, they haven't had a personal relationship with Christ, they might have religion, they may think, themselves as a good moral person but according to the light of your word if they don't have they don't have repented of their sins and received Christ as the only way to get to heaven then they are still lost in their sin and we have relatives, we have loved ones, we have friends we have co-workers, we have classmates 
And we know, Lord, that the day that you're approaching or coming is getting near and near. And help us, Lord, be, to be able to feel that, that burden in our hearts that we desperately need to pray for their salvation and be concerned about their souls. Thank you, Lord, that you already saved us from the judgment of our sin when you took the judgment on the cross. Thank you so much, O oh Father, for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for us. Thank you. Now we are redeemed. We are saved. We are the bearers of this good news. The Savior had come and is offering forgiveness, eternal life, a new life in Him. Help us, Lord, to encourage others to, to grab this wonderful opportunity. So tonight, Lord, may you bless the hearers of thy word. May this be a challenge to us to keep on focusing upon you and may we be concerned and continue to uh, pray for the salvation of those people who are around us that are lost. Also, may it drive us to support the ministries and program of our church in our soul winning, witnessing, our mission giving, our faith promise commitment. That we need to invest the eternal souls of men and uh, help us Lord to be mindful of that and we praise you Lord for your love to us bless us now give us uh, good night rest and bless us all together as we continue to know you more and serve you in Jesus name we pray amen and amen